Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Peloton Podcast, where discussions of life, psychology, and spirituality intersect, always inviting us to our whole and true selves. I'm James Trone, and I'll be leading us through discussions on these various topics based on readings, experience, and interviews. We hope you enjoy. Today, uh, I want to talk about the power of bliss. Uh, This is a concept I've been sitting in the last couple of months, and it's been um, probably something I've, without even really knowing the process I've been going through over the last couple of years, but particularly there's been several pieces of work um, that have been pretty big for me to be reflect that I've been reflecting in that have allowed me to to enter in the space of what it looks like uh, this second act of life and a couple of people that have just been really instrumental and highly recommend you follow will be several people that I I uh, quote and and reference throughout this uh, podcast but uh, in a lot of ways just th- the sheer act of me doing this podcast is coming out of this very concept that if I'm going to really live out what I believe too, then I need to, in essence, practice what I preach. So an audiobook I highly recommend, and my clients are constantly hearing me talk about it, is an audio recording by David White, the uh, English poet. The audiobook is called Midlife in the Great Unknown. In, in his reading, there's an excerpt that I wanted to start off with and that he starts off quoting um, Goethe, the uh, German uh, poet out of The Holy Longing. And he references particularly this idea of around emptiness and darkness. What he says is this, so as long as you have not experienced this emptiness, darkness, you are only a troubled guest on the dark earth. And when I heard that, I immediately had to uh, write that down, particularly because it really references this idea of a uh, second half of life that we, in a lot of ways, die to ourselves and then we're reborn. A lot of people in 12-step will actually, you know, they'll reference recovery, but also in a lot of ways their second birthday, which is when they first got into recovery. And it's a big celebration for many because it does represent that newness of life. And then this idea of falling or bliss. Um, what David White goes on to say is he, he says, Notice the swan and see its transformation. That the only requirement is for us to become aware and to move what causes us to be alive. All the swan does from awkwardness to grace is moving to those things that cause us to become alive by moving to those people and places. What are the places? Who are the people that cause you to become alive? It is much simpler to dying than dying to living. It's moving to the element where you belong. Our only requirement is to know the elements that bring us alive, that by moving, and being in the presence. This is the transformation. And I have found that to be very true. This thing within me 
that I've noticed has been taking place and and the people I'm drawn to both personally here in Nashville and by friendships and also those that I've been reading and and whether it's poets, musicians, authors, uh, contemplatives, uh, that I, I have been drawn to that thing that what is that thing that they have and also finding that I have that thing too but I didn't know it for for such a long time but over particularly the last 10 years I've started to find myself being able to shift into it and one thing is you know we're all trying to find our way but um but what does that even look like? What does that mean? Um, and, and I want to read this poem that that really, I think, captures the essence of this by Mary Oliver. And the poem is called The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble, and you felt the old tug at your ankles. In my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough, and a wild night, and the road was full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. When I came across that several years ago, I found that each time I read it and through the seasons of life, I've, it takes on tremendous new meanings, particularly through um, my own experience with life and the journey I've been on. And and I would probably say the same is true for you. I mean, that's obviously not a new concept that we have of entering into um, learning that so much of life is based on experience. And part of this idea of following your bliss, the, the term when I came across it was from an interview, a documentary uh, a series that Bill Moyers, uh, the journalist uh, who was, I guess, originally a uh, the, uh, press secretary for Lyndon B. Johnson uh, back in the late 60s. And in the late 80s, he interviews a man by the name of Joseph Campbell, who was a uh, professor at Sarah Lawrence College. And uh, these interviews were conducted I believe when Campbell was in his early 80s, I think around 82, 83. And the interviews were done over a series of about two years. Um, and Joseph Campbell really wasn't well known nationally other than he already had a prolific amount of work, uh, of, of works, of, of books he had written. Um, the most known is A Hero with a Thousand Faces. And then... Interestingly, Campbell was pivotal in helping write uh, a story uh, with a, a, 
a screenplay with an individual, you'll definitely know George Lucas. Uh, and George Lucas said it, he would not have been able to write Star Wars if it wasn't for Joseph Campbell's help. And so these interviews were actually then done uh, over two years at Skywalker Ranch. And um, sadly, Campbell died, I think, two months after the final interview was conducted. And if you ever have a chance to watch the, the series, which is called The Power of Myth, you definitely get a sense of Campbell's uh, just huge amount of knowledge. And, and also that he has that, that, um, that factor. He, he touches on something that you know is very powerful and real and yet can't quite be touched. And I, I think it really comes from a lot of um, this idea of the following our bliss, but it also is around this idea. He talks about there's two types of heroes. One is that overt hero, the hero that, um, you know, we generally think um, the last year there was a uh, shooting here in Nashville at a Waffle House. And um, as tragic as that was and deplorable that was, there was a man in, in the Waffle House, James Shaw, who just responded and, and jumped in and intervened with the shooter and was able to, to un, you know, unarm him, but was shot during that uh, encounter. And um, since then, James Shaw has become quite the, the hero in town. And I saw a, a magazine even the, uh, last week of him being the Nashvilleian of the year, and, and rightfully so. And so that, that to me immediately is if someone, you know, that has done something heroic. And um, interestingly, it doesn't, we don't choose it, it chooses us. Though we certainly um, need to respond to it, but most of our, our her, few of us get asked to do such of a, a task, but instead, most of us instead take a um, heroic path that is a, that is spiritual in nature. And I have found that it's less and less about the. Um, the do's and the don'ts and the, um, I guess the tribal, um, what I'd call the, uh, the rules of the tribe of our culture and our society and sadly even of our church that actually keeps us to be more dead than it does alive. And so in a lot of ways, I'm even aware of just saying this idea and concept of following your, your bliss can be, um, uh, and a, a very provocative if, if not seen in the right way. And um, so I, I want to try to speak to that too as a, as a, throughout this podcast. But Campbell uh, says this, that, um, that the greatest tragedy uh, is not being awake to what life is and uh, in the, and what he saw is that the greatest human transgression, and I quote him here, is the sin of inadvertence, not being alert, not quite awake. And uh, I, I personally found that in life, it may not only being asleep, but it's not knowing and living out our own brilliance. And I see that so often as I'm sitting with people that... I'm amazed that 
a massive amount of clients and, um, and people around me when I ask them about listening to their voice, oftentimes it's like, well, I don't know what that voice is and I don't know if I can really hear it. And you may be in that position. And what I would say is that that's actually part of the process, but that is exactly what the task is, is to find that voice and to be able to not only find it, but learn what it is and then be able to listen to it and then trust it and live from it. Um, and what Campbell said that I think is helpful here is, um, regards, uh, what the idea of sacred space and he, and Campbell says this sacred space is an absolute necessity for anybody today. You must have a room, a certain hour or so a day where you don't know what was in the newspapers that morning. You don't know who your friends are. You don't know what you owe anybody. You don't know what anybody owes you. This is a place where you can simply experience and bring forth what you are and what you might be. This is the place of creative incubation. At first, you may find that nothing happens here, but if you have a sacred place and use it, something eventually will happen. And... And obviously, in a lot of ways, what he's talking about is a um, a contemplation, a meditative practice, a a place of going, as Jesus says, going to go to pray quietly away. That we have to have that inner room where no one sees us. But I think it's less about an overt of we have to play, pray quietly, so it's not of um, you know that we're not seen, but it's more like we have to go to that inner room in our heart, that inner chamber. And what was amazing for me was even two years of a, a seminary and a very uh, reputable seminary, nobody talked about meditation and mindfulness. Uh, I think it was out of that fear that it is Eastern thought and, um, and, based in our Western culture, we've at first tend to be avoidant to that. And here you go to, and I don't think I, the seminary I went to is the only one. I think it's uh, uh, pretty uniform across all seminaries of really, or many seminaries, I should say, of not really helping, um, you know, pastors uh, are people studying spirituality and religion and uh, philosophy and spirituality to find that inner room, that inner chamber. And as I've examined that, actually, though, it doesn't surprise me because in order to really sit in that, that inner chamber, uh, it's also what we call an emptiness or death uh, while we're alive. It's sitting in that space that um, our ego really fights and does not want to allow it. So um, there's no way we can perform in it. Uh, we have to be taken there, and there, there is precisely nothing. Um, and we, so most people, as I sit with uh, people as I interact in, in the counseling process, 
uh, most will say, well, I don't know that voice. And it's because of having to go through that, uh, that death-like experience. And, um, but it's that, that, that death or, or of our ego that is the very thing that helps us find our safe, find a place, a sacred space, so we can then hear that voice and then start trusting it and start following it uh, and so on. Um, one of the other things Campbell says is that if you follow you, your bliss, you put yourself on a kind of track that has been there for all the while, waiting for you, and the life that you ought to be living is the one you are living, wherever you are. If you are following your bliss, you are enjoying that refresh, refreshment, that life within you all the time. Um, that's the thing, that, that tapping into... It becomes less and less about the things of the world, the new car, the house, the bank account. Um, though those things aren't bad in themselves, but they take on their proper position in life because you've, uh, as Richard Rohr says, you found your sacred dance and you start to live in a new way. And so this idea of becoming alive requires a shedding off of skin. It's a shedding off of the ego, um, which is the thing, sadly, that keeps so many people from being willing to step into the process because who consciously and willfully is just going to, you know, volunteer and say, you know, I'm going to actually go through, through this pain, um, so usually it's pain of, of attachments we've um, put on ourselves outside attachments, attachments to our, our uh, reputation, um, you know, our home, our neighborhood, our work. But um, what I've also found, though, is that if you don't, you have a very big decision and we often don't give room enough for is it's almost like making a deal with the devil that uh should you choose a career that is safe that is um not of risk that is not of of life of wholeheartedness what you're really doing is um in a lot of ways compromising your heart so that you'll live uh, in so many ways, dead to life, though it may be safe and may be on the front end okay, it's it's not life giving. What drew me to uh, David White's uh, Midlife in the Great Unknown book was a friend of mine and I were sitting um, together about a year ago, and he made a quote, a reference out of this this book, and he said that David White says. Um, that the antidote to exhaustion is not rest. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. And immediately when I heard that, I was like, that, that's right. That makes, makes so much sense. And so, you know, we're trying to become more and more whole, but we also, what's going to require us to do is to shed off those things that don't allow us to be alive you know, there's that phrase, life is more about subtraction than it is addition. And I think it's exactly this, 
that in order to be alive, it's actually letting go of those things that are hindering us. Maybe it's a safe job. Maybe it's things in life, uh, people that have actually been pulling us down into our smaller self. And so our task is to be mindful of that and to move to those things. But it also requires an enormous amount of courage um, and even the, the willingness to mess up along the way. Um, and also the whole point of it is that it's what has to happen is you have to follow that voice that is within you, not someone else's voice, not my voice, not uh, others, not your family, not your parents, not, uh, not even your close friends or family, but it has to be that thing within you. If you don't, you're living out someone else's life. Um, and But the beauty is you can always get back on the road. You can always find that way. But um, you will receive a lot of resistance to it, both internally and pain, but also those around you that, will, that it will not make sense to many. But um, I've found personally, though, that there are those, those few, that handful of people that get it. And it's only because they've gone down the road themselves that they're able to speak forth not what you should do, but to give room for you and to encourage you in your own process. That it has to be It is such an individual thing to follow your bliss or to follow that voice. Um, and uh, though it, it will, it creates, you must create that uh, liminal space, that, uh, that space to sit in, as Campbell references earlier, to be able to listen to it, to honor it. Um, and in order to do so, it requires an integration, if you will, not only to your current self, but to that, um, that inner child within you, which is what this, what are so much of the internal blocks that within our internal landscape um, that keeps us from being able to do that. But I have, um, I found that as I've gone through my own journey and as others I, that I get to sit with, there is remarkably several key themes along the way that just seem to be um, markers of, of common elements. One of those is starting to get in touch with your inner child and doing uh, inner child work. Um, which uh, really means going back uh, into your story, looking back. Uh, it was often say in 12 Steps Al-Anon and uh, ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, that it's this uh, looking back without staring. Uh, we are to go back and actually in many ways help the inner child become unstuck in ways where the original trauma happened for each of us. That trauma could be very covert, where it would have been those thousand paper cuts along the way and not those overt traumas. And then for others, it is the overt, the big moments that you know in your story and you can remember so much of a particular moment, the date, the time, the um, the smells, if you will. And um, 
either way, we have to go back and allow that inner child to heal. And the reason is, is because not only is the journey to get in touch with the inner child, but it's to also introduce ourselves to our inner loving parent. Interestingly enough, our inner voice or our true self, which is the thing that actually then allows us to follow our bliss. And so as I sit with, uh, I'm just so honored always to sit with people wherever they are in their journey and story. And it's just amazing that those that are doing the work and have stepped into it, this process unfolds and it's always of grief. Even yesterday I sat with um, a client and, and, and really dear friend and he came in and said, I just think I need to be able to cry. And I don't even know what it is I'm going to cry about. And for about 30 minutes, he cried. And he would look up and look at me. And we'd just sit and look at each other. And in a lot of ways, it was very unnerving. And he kept asking me, he goes, man, I, I, I'm sorry. This seems, I, it feels like this is weird. And... Um, but what's so beautiful about it for me is like, no, it's not weird because the same thing was given to me. The same space was given to me. The same ability was just to sit and be seen and not have words, but to just grieve. And for so many of us, as David White says, that in our 20s and 30s, it's we're living, pushing through life, thinking we're following our bliss, but it's not. It's of... Uh, images it's of ideas it's this uh, expectation of what we want life to be it's those things that cause us to be to be drawn to those instagram moments of chasing it chasing it chasing it that when we finally are done chasing we have to start sitting and what we find is years and years and a massive amount of untapped grief that we have to to begin to allow to well up within us and it's in that grieving that allows us to uh, start to become shedding those layers and so for many it comes in the form before the grief it's a uh, depression and that's simply what depression is is the closing off of your wholeheartedness that's become so insulated to life that you have just accepted a pre-written program and in so many ways you're stuck because most often subconsciously you didn't realize you were you somewhere or throughout little by little you were making agreements with the world, so to speak, that you would become uh, numb. And that numbness turns out in the form of depression. For others, it's addiction where you have this uh, splitting of self where you, you go after and power of, of the power of something. And so you end up splitting off because it's not whole. Therefore, you, you without even knowing it oftentimes, uh, keep going back to and you create a dual life the life that you're chasing the life of uh, performance achievement and then the splitting off of the secret life that is not integrated because if it was integrated it would it it will and is of of the uh, 
undoing of the ego. And regardless of those things, or unfortunately, unfortunately, um, sometimes it's just life being as it is tragic, just throws in things not of anything you've done, but of death within family, a death of a child, um, a loss of a job, your own health, that it propels you into this space of emptiness, of rawness. But it's in that space if you can learn to be, uh, the transformation happens in that you learn how to be. You learn how to sit. You learn how to, to be able to experience the thing that following your bliss is actually what the world in which you stand the world in which you sit all around you, that you realize you no longer have to look forward to something. You're able to live into something which is the right now, the, the here and now. And um, that is the, the awakening, is the, that, kingdom, that the kingdom of heaven is no longer in front of us. The kingdom of heaven is now. The heaven is now. Um, but it requires a suffering, uh, suffering of the uh, suffering of from our old programming, our old uh, ways of living. Um, but it opens up t- us to a um, a newness of of life that um, that we can't quite explain, and people only re- get it if if you've gone through it yourself. Um, though I've found that I needed others to to help kind of hold up the light to say, Hey, this path that I'm on is actually good. You're not going to fall off a cliff though. It may feel like you are. And if you do fall off the cliff, you'll be okay. Um, that you learn to breathe underwater. Um, and I want to, to end here because, uh, in one of David White's other poems, he will, say something paradoxical but it speaks to this thing that allows you to follow your bliss the process and it comes out of a the poem is called sweet darkness and it comes out of a house of belonging when your eyes are tired the world is tired also when your vision has gone no part of the world can find you time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your womb tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up all other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness in the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. So that wraps up today's podcast and I hope you'll join uh, me throughout these different uh, podcasts as I'll be putting them and posting them up of just things that we're coming across, things that we're about at Peloton, um, what we're ourselves learning and the path that we're seeing others walk on themselves. And if anything, it's the hope that you'll know you're not alone, that you've got a group of people around you Uh, that you um, can trust that voice, and that voice is good. Thank you.